think to myself, what a wonderful world. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. Today, we have an exciting and very educational interview with Drs. Annie Sprinkle and Dr. Beth Stevens. You're going to want to stay tuned and listen to this interview, which is coming up in just a few minutes. But first, our usual news and notes in psychology and medicine. I just have one note today. It's a very important one. It's about diabetes. More than 110 million U.S. adults now have diabetes or pre-diabetes. Yes, you heard that number right. 110 million, according to the Center for Disease Control. Of the 30 million American adults with diabetes, it's estimated that anywhere from 11 to 24% of the cases are undiagnosed. By the way, 95% of these cases of diabetes are type 2. Type 2 can be prevented by diet, exercise, and loss of excess weight. Now, that information came to me from the University of California Berkeley Wellness Letter. Here is a follow-up. People with type 2 diabetes who lose weight and keep it off may be able to reverse the disease according to a study in the British Journal, and this is the most prestigious journal uh, in England, it's called Lancet. They did a study which showed that this can be reversed, but again, it can be reversed through very hard discipline, which means watching what you eat, losing weight, diet is the way to do it, not any particular diet, because there's a lot of research indicating now that all these diets really add up to one thing, and that is what we've been saying here on this program for many years. It's calories in, calories burned. In other words, if, you tr- if your car gets 20 miles to the gallon, you put four gallons in, you're going to go twenty mi- uh, 80 miles. You're not going to go any further. That's where it's at. And it's the same thing with our bodies. So you need to calculate what your calor- caloric uh, burn is, Figure it out what you need, and that's the number of calories. You can do that all on Google. It's pretty easy. So, folks, 110 million people is a lot of people to have one disease. If you think you're headed in that direction or you have already are in that direction, take note. There is something you can do. There is hope, but you've got to get on the stick. So that's it. That's the big news and note for the day. And now to our interview with Drs. Annie Sprinkle and Beth Stevens. Annie Sprinkle has been creating multimedia projects about sexuality for four decades. That means 40 years, doesn't it? She was the first adult film star to earn a PhD. She bridged into art and toured her one-woman theater pieces all over the country and all over the world. Annie's new book, which she co-authored with Beth Stevens, is called The Explorer's Guide to Planet Orgasm for Every Body. It's all about orgasm and only orgasm. You're going to want to take a look at that book. Annie's partner, Dr. Beth Stevens, has been a filmmaker, performance artist, activist, and educator for three decades. 
Beth is the founding director of Earth Lab at UC Santa Cruz, where she is the department chair and professor of art. In the last five years, Beth has produced two new feature documentary films and has shown many video installations in galleries and museums. Together, Beth and Annie, Stevens and Sprinkle, are founders of the Ecosex Movement, where they aim to make the environment movement more sexy, fun, and diverse. These two folks were official Document 14 artists with their new film, Water Makes Us Wet, an Ecosexual Adventure. Wow. By the way, they're now also completing a book about their work, Assuming the Ecosexual Position, for the University of Minnesota Press. I watched their film, Water Makes Us Wet, an Ecosexual Adventure, last night. It's fabulous. It made me laugh. It made me cry. I We're going to hear about it right now. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Annie and Beth. Thank you, Richard. Wow. Thank you, Richard. It's good to talk with you and your listeners. Well, I want to start out. Of course, everybody, I know this, wants to talk to, about, to Annie about how she went from being a porn star to getting a PhD. We may get to that later in the interview, but first, we're going to talk about your new project, which is Echosexuality. And I'm going to read a little tiny bit from your book as a way of intro, and then turn it over to you too. From their book, Echosexuality is a new sexual identity an environmental activist strategy, and an expanded concept of what sex is and can be in our culture. Echosexuals imagine the earth as a lover, a romantic partner, and experience nature as sensual, erotic, or sexy. Echosexuality is a way of being in the world, wherein giving and receiving love with the earth increases pleasure. Sex with humans is also a part of echosexuality, as humans are part of, not separate from, nature. That's part of your book, Chapter 21, Echosexuality. How did this come about? Let's take it from the top, you two. Well, this is Beth, um, and about 10 years ago, almost to the day, I think our anniversary was two weeks ago, we had a performance art wedding that was part of a series of performance art weddings we were doing, but in this particular one, we married the earth. And when we married the earth, we started thinking, well, what does it mean to marry the earth? And we realized that it meant that we needed to love, honor, and cherish the earth and take care of the earth and and really try to pleasure the earth just as we would with any lover or any partner. And we really started thinking deeply about, well, what is our relationship to the earth? It's beyond the sort of, um, you know, either using the resources of the earth without 
thinking about them or feeling guilty because we're hurting the earth all the time, which I don't think is a useful position. Um, so we really started becoming lovers with the earth after that wedding, and it really changed us. Well, I, uh, I have to say that I had eco-sexual feelings way back the first time I went to Wilbur Hot Springs. <laughs> and, we were already and married to the earth, though, they, weren't we? No, huh? I was there with Juliet Anderson, a porn star, a.k.a. Aunt Peg or Juliet Carr. Uh, she brought me there for the first time, and when I got in, I'm, I'm definitely an aquaphiliac. I have been since I was a kid. I love the water. So when we married the earth, we started looking back at the times where we really had a sensual, erotic, really connected time with the earth and with the sky, the sea, and we just sort of dove deep into that idea and we've just been doing art about that for 10 years and and we say that we do art theory practice and activism so ecosex for us is an art project and we've developed the theories around it which has been really fun and activism we're we're environmental activists and we get involved in different issues and then the practice is enjoying the sensuality of nature or the non-human. Nature is actually the wrong word because we are nature. But, yeah, so it's all included. <laughs> now, when you're talking about the earth as a lover, do you mean that as a metaphor or do you mean that literally? Is this, for example, years ago... There were many of us who were what called tree huggers. I'm sure you remember that. Oh yes, we are tree huggers too. Still, and 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 tree huggers. This wasn't a metaphor. We literally hug trees. We put our arms and legs around them, and we close our eyes and we hold on to them. Is this a similar thing that you all are talking about with your ecosexuality? And if so, how so? Well, Richard, I think it's both metaphorical and it's um, an embodied kind of practice of being in the world. I mean, when we walk outside on the streets or, you know, out in a field, we are giving the earth a massage with our feet, right? It's uh, shiatsu. And uh, when we're breathing the air, we're having intercourse with the air that we breathe. So we're physically... Uh, intermingling with everything on the earth. Our biome clouds are intermingling with the biome clouds of the soil and the biome clouds of the trees and the plants. And um, we really, the earth is keeping us alive. And it's both through the beauty that the earth exhibits as well as through the sort of nourishing qualities of all of the elements that we interact with and engage with lovingly. You know, we, I mean, definitely the metaphorical part of ecosexuality helps us be conscious of what we, you know, how we are with the earth, right? But physically, we're also always hugging the air that we breathe, or, um, I mean, there's nothing more intimate than drinking a glass of water, if you think about it that way. That is brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and I'd like to uh, talk a little bit more about the ecosexuality of drinking a glass of water. I'm going to give that to Anne. Well, going back to the trees, you know, Richard, a lot of people like to 
um, critique <laughs> eco-sex, and they generally do it by saying, oh, they're tree huggers, and they think that we're actually having some kind of intercourse with trees, and that's the big joke, and they don't see the forest for the trees. They just imagine that we're, you know, putting branches inside us or something, and we aren't, uh, unless they're nicely carved. <laughs> but um, we... People automatically think about trees when we say eco-sex, but it's really a lot bigger than that. And no, we're not having sex with animals and trees and, you know, but what is sex? Where does our body start and end? And we ask these kind of questions and, you know, we, we try to communicate with the trees. People also say, well, what about consent? That tree's not consenting. Well, we actually try somehow to ask for consent and some trees definitely don't want to be hugged they have poison ivy around them or whatever and so it's it's we use a lot of humor and and fun and play um so we we also critique eco-sex because it can be pretty laughable and silly like getting pounded by the ocean waves once we did a workshop and we had a whole line of people naked and the ocean waves were just the right position where we all got spanked, spanked by the ocean waves and we're, they're rolling us around and it was like so joyous and we were all laughing and laughing. It was so funny and it was so real because we had our ecosexual gaze on, we call it, ecosexual G-A-Z-E. We were all thinking about the earth as a lover. So... It became, you know, and these were seasoned, sex-positive, advanced, sexually advanced kind of people. And they are just having this innocent fun getting slapped in the butt by the waves. So it's really, we're all having pleasure with water, with the uh, wind, wind play, we call it, <laughs> with um, the sun rays penetrating our skin. Uh, and that brings us to the water, drinking a glass of water. Well, and so when, I mean, when we drink a glass of water, uh, there was there was a little interview in our film, uh, Water Makes Us Wet. I mean, just the title sort of, you know, alludes to the kinds of metaphorical play that we're engaging in. The water does literally make us wet, and it's really wetness and, um, you know, that keeps us alive. I mean, cells can't divide in the absence of water, right? They, they just die. So, you know, we're really positing the ecosexuality um, um, is part of a very powerful life force, and that really the ways that we frame it with playfulness and joy and sexuality and titillation, that those kinds of things can reunite us with the earth, which I think in this moment when we're also connected to our computers and kids aren't getting outside as much as they did when I know I was growing up, that it's really important to try to get people outside and connected to the earth so that they care about the earth. Because otherwise, corporations are going to gobble the earth up for resources, and then we're in a lot, we're already in a lot of trouble, you know? Um, I think ecosexuality also helps us face that trouble, because uh, all of the talk about climate change and global warming, those things can be incredibly overwhelming. And it makes people feel powerless, that, that there's nothing that we can really do, when in fact there's a lot that we can do. And we really believe that as an activist strategy, that love 
is perhaps the most important motivating force that there is to counter the kind of greed of large corporations. And, you know, I mean, we're getting a, a, um, a, an amazing, spectacular show from our federal government right now who they're, you know, uh, taking protections away from, from, from national parks and they're drilling and fracking and exploding things in ways that I never thought I would see again. So, in fact, ecosexuality, for as playful and joyous as parts of it are, um, it always it also gives us the strength to face the kinds of env environmental devastation that are happening in order to try to stop that devastation. And by the way, for those listening that like to imagine the Earth as a mother, I mean we are anthropomorphizing the Earth. It's 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 beyond human uh, qualities, but. We can still imagine the earth as a mother, so if we're drinking a glass of water, it's like the mother is keeping us alive, uh, but the mother is also a lover, has been a lover in order to <laughs> become a mother. There's sex everywhere, so we can morph and change. The earth can be a friend, it can be a sister, it can be whatever helps us access uh, a closer, more intimate, loving connection with the non-human and the human, because humans are included, and we're made of the same thing. So really, when you're making love with a human, you're making love with 70% of the human is water, and there's some stardust sprinkled in and some, you know, other minerals and things. So, you know, we just like being experimental in our thinking about sex. Also, as a sex educator myself, I'm very interested in, you know, exploring new forms of pleasure, which aren't really new, but uh, at least calling attention to various forms of pleasure that are easily accessible to people maybe who aren't, don't have partners or who are in prison or, or who I know when the, I, you know, when I heard the earth could be a lover, I was able to access nature the non-human much more easily because my mother was frankly kind of a bitch at times and um, I was much more interested in sex and sexuality and I, so that opened a door for me but it's not for everyone we're not saying that earth is not a mother as well what, what you are doing which is so wonderful is you're using the art form as a way to create cultural change. I mean, that's really what it's about, isn't it? It's about changing our attitudes towards this this ball that we are living on or that we are part of and how we relate to it and and using your, your art and sexuality as a kind of uh, entrance point to having deeper dignity and respect for what's all around us, in us, above us, below us, and on the side of us. You got it, Richard. Yeah, Sounds that's... like uh, maybe you want to come out as an ecosexual <laughs> on your show. I think I think I think my my wife Jolie and I very much would like to uh, join you and and consider ourselves uh, ecosexuals. Oh, wonderful, wonderful! And the nice thing is, you don't have to give up anything else that you are. You just add add it on to all the rest. <laughs> we, b b even before. We became uh, familiar with your work. Um, my wife, Jolie, would talk about 
making love to the air and making love, feeling a sense of making love with the ocean in front of our home uh, here in Mendocino. And the same thing when sitting in the water, as you mentioned at Wilbur Hot Springs, it, it, feeling so enveloped and so cuddled and and uh, and surrounded and uh, with this with this beautiful sensual feeling and so uh you know we really applaud you and that's why i'm so happy to have you on the program today um where i'd like to go now is uh something else that you uh are educating us about in your book and it's what you call the intersection of ecofeminism sustainability and queer theory in relation to ecosexuality. So, with that introduction, please talk about those. That, that that's a mouthful. But, well, I mean, I think that um, this is Beth, and you know, I'm at the university a lot, and so I go to a lot of talks and <clears throat> and lectures and things like that of my colleagues. And and in the last twenty or twenty five years, a lot of feminists have been talking about. Um, how can we break down certain kinds of hierarchies, especially binary hierarchies, that have really privileged uh, culture over nature or um, male over female or, uh, you know, even corporate corporations over individuals? And so we really see ecosexuality as a way of contesting that and really doing that through pleasure because, honestly, hierarchies are not pleasurable. It's not... I mean, maybe some people get a lot of pleasure out of power, but more people than not don't, do you know? And so it's really a, a kind of um, making horizontal so that we're all, we are all just creatures of the earth, including animals and plants and things like that. But, you know, it, it creates a sort of more loving environment. And again, I would say I think love is the most important thing here in this moment when we're seeing so many things blowing up and falling apart and you know and the, and the falling apart part is kind of a natural cycle of life but it's even how do you feel okay about that right instead of getting scared and then retaliating do, do, it seems that all over the world right now there's a political movement that for some of us seems regressive it seems like we're moving backwards rather than forwards. Uh, there's a, a move towards what's called strongman, such as Trump in this country. Uh, some people feel that way about uh, Theresa May in England um, and dictators around the world. And, and I'm sure you're, you're quite aware of what well, you are. You're talking about it. You know, the corporations being above people in this country with Citizens United, you know, we, we created a situation where corporations almost are people. And you're pointing out that most people really enjoy and, and enjoy sensuality, can enjoy sexuality, certainly over power. Yet we have to be cognizant of the fact that there is that small group and they're a very powerful group. Maybe they're only 5% of all of us who enjoy power over everything else. And so often, they're leading the way. Can we get to them? Do you have a sense of hope that we can reach those people, those people who are willing to, to stand up 
in front of the world and swear to us that that nicotine isn't addictive, for example? Remember that group? Yeah. I think ecosexuality provides a possibility for power from below. And I do think that we can reach those people. I, I mean, the thing also about ecosexuality is that we firmly acknowledge ecosystems and that there are different ways of, you know, like each different strategy or tactic for, for reaching those people is important. And that we need to work as a system to reach them rather than any individual movement or individual person. Um, I don't know if we can really change those people because they're addicted to profit. I mean, that is really the truth. They're addicted to profit over everything else. That's what capitalism is, is the production of profit. Um, and honestly, I think that some things need to change in order to allow us to um, continue to live on, on an earth that's thriving and can provide the things that we want without profit. I mean, the earth doesn't work on a capitalistic profit basis, you know. It, it really works on a, a reciprocal basis where the sun gives, the earth gives back, um, people take care of, of, of something, and, it you know, it, you can't just take and take and take. And that's why ecosexuality, seeing the earth as a lover, um, we really feel that that's a more reciprocal relationship than, uh, you know, the kind of power from above where, like, the patriarchal or the matriarchal power says, you do this, and everyone goes, okay, we'll do this. That's not re reciprocity, and we're, we're, we think reciprocity is very important. On our new business card we just made last week, we put that we do social sculpture, which is a term that our German artist Joseph Boys created. Um, I don't think that the word ecosex is going to reach people uh, in the way, but because it, people like to poo-poo the idea. But we are creating culture. So, for example, there's a whole sex toy industry that's now more green uh, and thinking about the environment. Um, there's, um, you know, porn stars making porn that's ecosexual. Now, they don't call it ecosexual, but you can be sure that some of these people that are, you know, thinking about the almighty dollar for season porn where they're really making connecting a uh, lot making love with with n the natural world around them um it's going to reach them sex is a common denominator at most not everyone likes sex but a lot of those people who are um after the almighty dollar they they like their porn they like their sex but we're also pushing against sex negative culture. It's a taboo to really enjoy the sensuality of nature. You know, to masturbate with a hose is a taboo. To take pleasure with water. Sex is a taboo in, outside of monogamy and marriage. So any kind of pleasure that's not about monogamy and measure is going to pleasure is going to be poo-pooed and, and, and put down. We get a lot of, we've been on Breitbart and Fox News and all those, and to read the comments is really quite amazing because it's really largely people who are freaked out by sex. So as we're, we're pushing against that kind of tabooness. And but I think people are also freaked out about thinking of the earth as a, as a source of pleasure rather than a resource that they can use for profit. 
And I think that, you know, we're seeing this in the federal government now. Like the pushback, this guy, Scott Pruitt, who's the chair, who's the head of the EPA, he is undoing every rule that was put in place since the 70s to protect water, to protect forests. Richard, I'm from West Virginia originally, and what is going on in that state is Armageddon. It is horrific with this mountaintop removal coal mining, with fracking, and the way that the people of West Virginia have been manipulated to buy into this um, this thing about, you know, you have to have jobs, no matter how crappy those jobs are, no matter what they're doing to the environment. This thing about jobs, is it's like a, it's like a, a deal with the devil, and the devil's Trump right now. And it's just, it's, it's so heartbreaking to see that. So I know where the society can go unless we really fight those powers that are just trying to take everything they can from the earth. And I mean, we're seeing it at Standing Rock. Uh, we're seeing it everywhere, the plastic in the ocean. It's really quite uh, overwhelming and amazing. And so we are really trying to galvanize people, uh, you know, around what it is that they really love. And the earth is life. Water is life. The people at Standing Rock, the indigenous people, are absolutely right about that. And I think that this is the choice our culture is going to have to make. Do we want life or do we want like a death culture? which I think is what capitalism is, is handing us on a platter right now. By the way, if uh, people are interested, um, Goodbye Golly Mountain, an ecosexual love story, uh, the last one we made, is on iTunes, and they can go there and, and watch it. And it's about West Virginia mountaintop removal. Uh, Annie, please say it again for everybody listening. Yeah, if people are interested in learning more about... Uh, uh, what we're doing, um, our last film, Goodbye Golly Mountain, an ecosexual love story, is on iTunes. Um, it was on Netflix, but it just came off. Um, so they can watch this film, and it's about West Virginia and mountaintop removal coal mining. In fact, Don Blankenship, who just lost uh, an election there in West Virginia, right out of prison is uh, our, um, in our film. And anyway, or they can get our book, um, Explorer's Guide to Planet Orgasm, from Amazon.com, or As You Like It Pleasure Shop, if they don't like Amazon, um, and learn more about ecosexuality and what we're doing. And what about for people who want to uh, see Water Makes Us Wet? Is there a way they can see that yet, or do they have to wait? Well, they have to wait for a little while unless they want to write our distributor, Elizabeth Sheldon, at Juno, J-U-N-O, Distribution, yeah. Juno Films. She's Dot got com. it, yeah. JunoFilms.com is playing some film festivals. We'd like to get it into more film festivals, so if anybody uh, wants, we can, you know, show them the film and... Um, and, yeah, and hopefully we'll get it on Netflix and iTunes and it'll be more available. But it Yeah, just I'd like to, off. excuse me, I'd like to introduce you to the people at the Mendocino Film Festival, have you enter it there for next year. It's, the festival's next week, but it's every June and it's become quite a, quite a, a widespread festival. So, oh, that yeah. would be wonderful. Yeah, give that some, give, <laughs> I want to come back to something else you said about the stigma of sex from your perspectives as as activists as social activists 
how are we doing with regard to changing the culture and its attitudes, particularly the negative attitudes or the hypocr- what I would call the hypocritical negative attitudes towards sexuality? How are we coming along? Are, are, we, still, are we still in the era of, of, of shaming women who enjoy sex and, and, uh, and, and championing men who are studs? Or are we, have we moved some beyond that? How are we doing with regard to what I call the sexual glass ceiling? Mm. Well, uh, you know, there's different ways to look at that. Um, obviously, the Me Too movement is having a huge effect on sexuality. All the prolification of, of pornography... And feminist porn, I mean, it's so huge. That's like saying, how are we doing with life and culture today? I mean, it's sexuality is so huge and ginormous, and there's so many ways to look at it. Um, I think that we are moving along. There's a lot of what we call erotically gifted young people, but there are also some really, really um, fearful young people that, um, we ha- you know, we we're around students a lot and young people, and we have interns, and and there's some of them are really interested in sex, but don't quite know how to go about it, um, or they're getting misinformation. Obviously, taking away uh, abortion rights um, is going to affect a lot of people. Um, so it's very huge and very complicated, and I don't think there's a simple answer to that question. I know it's a tough question, but in terms of what the way you said, you know, that's sort of like asking how are we doing in life. Well, that's a, a tough question, but a good one, and you, you pointed out how we're doing in life, and I think you did it very well. We're struggling. We're struggling. Yeah. There's a major struggle going on, as you pointed out, between power uh, and capitalism on the one hand, and what you might call humanism or exosexuality, respect for the earth, more so respect for, for, for all living people, uh, which we still haven't gotten to. So in, in terms of how we're doing with life, it, yeah. it's a struggle that, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's marginal right now. But I, I was th- hoping you would say, but it, it sounds like there's, there's still hesitation, that we've made some progress with regard to our attitudes towards sexuality I, I've we've wondered that when I've talked to people whether the proliferation of pornography has made it easier for people with regard to expressing their sexuality because it, you can now see things by pushing a button on a machine that most people never saw in their entire lifetime. Yeah, right? that's true. I think it's been two steps forward, one step back. Uh-huh. And that was very promiscuous in the 70s and early 80s before AIDS hit. And it was incredible. I'm so grateful I lived at that time. And we're certainly far from that. So uh, we were people were having a lot of great sex and sexual adventures and freedom. And then AIDS came along and... And, it, you know, sex became very dangerous and then herpes, and, you know. So these young people have grown up in an era of sex kills. Um, that's put a damper on things. On the other hand, we do have more education available online. Uh, you know, people can learn about any topic on Wikipedia. And Richard, this is Beth. 
I teach a course at UC Santa Cruz called Ars Erotica, and it's a large lecture general education course uh-huh. about erotic art. And it's really interesting because I um, I teach a lot of alternative. I show a lot of alternative art that's sexually explicit. For instance, you know, um, films about people who are otherly abled uh, having sex and you know, you know, sexual relationships. Um, you know, sexual, you know, sex around uh, queer, trans sex, people of color, you know, cyborg sex, right? These sort of films that are kind of have these imaginary um, uh, characters. And the students, uh, some of them, I mean, of course, like the queer students love the queer films and the students of color love the student of color film. But it gets very complicated because also then, you know, most of these kids have watched really mainstream pornography, and they have really set ideas about what porn is and what pleasure is. Um, so while there's this proliferation of pornography, I'm not sure that the mainstream pornography is putting out a message that's very different from what you called sort of, you know, the dominating stud and the, you know, sort of hot female who's submissive to the dominating stud narrative. Exactly. It's really quite interesting because... Um, you know, there has been freedom for people who are in other kinds of groups than that to make pornography and to get it out on the Internet, which is really empowering. But I think now, again, our federal government is really pushing back against that, you know, with their stance on trans trans people in the military or, you know, homosexuality or so on and so forth. They're horrible, you know, racist policies. All of these things, I mean, it's how are we doing with life, and those things do really affect how we're doing with sex and sexuality but it's we're in a quite remarkable moment right now do you think these uh websites called uh what is it tinder or the hookup sites tumblr do you think they're having an effect on cultural sexuality I think everything's having an effect on sexuality I mean pornography is a mirror of our society, it's not like, and it is. I, I didn't really know that, Andy. I thought it was a mirror of a bunch of guys down in a big warehouse in Los Angeles. Well, if you look throughout history, you'll see in pornography different sexual styles and oh, yes, between men and women and trans people, and you can see our erotic heritage, our history through pornography. So it is both, you know, I think it can be. Yeah, where people are at, which is often a misogynist uh, kind of society. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have so many alternatives now, what we call post-porn and feminist porn and queer porn and, you know, alternative kinds of heterosexual erotica and couples erotica. I mean, it's so huge. If you've seen one porn movie, you haven't seen them all. But I can tell you, with there's a there's a, a an application called Grinder, which is for gay men. Have you yes. heard of Grinder? And my great nephew told me about Grinder, and it was like, "Ooh, Auntie Beth doesn't know about Grinder, right?" And I was like, I thought at first I was like, "Wow, this is a great idea. You can just be walking down the street, and your Grinder will locate someone else's Grinder, and then you can go grind somewhere." Mm-hmm. But I think that. I think, you know, I was just talking to some students the other day at Santa Cruz about these online dating apps, and they're feeling, they're not feeling safe, because people, you know, you meet someone, and you haven't really been around them for very long, you don't know their body language, you don't really even know who they are, you know, and 
it's just, it's a kind of interesting thing. I mean, on one hand, it's very liberating to have that sort of, you know, anonymous sex where you, you, you might, someone may have signed up and given you certain, you know, qualities about themselves or information about themselves. But I know when I broke up with my last girlfriend many, many years ago, Annie and I have been together almost 18 years now. But uh, <laughs> That's the sound of applause. That was applause coming at you. No one thought we would do this because we were both so wild. Uh, but, my last girlfriend, uh, uh, let me, I've got to interrupt you there. Okay. <laughs> because the reason I want to interrupt is yeah. the applause is partly for your 18 years, uh-huh. but partly also... Because one of the most wonderful parts of your movie, Water Makes Us Wet, is your relationship. The way you touch each other in the movie, the way you hug each other, the way you kiss each other, the way as you're walking, you're walking arm in arm or your arms around each other. It's beautiful. That that in and of itself says so much and, and, and makes the movie uh, so much more enjoyable. It's, it's a great film, by the way, folks. Those of you listening... You've got to figure out a way, uh, write to that Juno, or wait till it comes your way. But this, uh, if the uh, if Goodbye Golly Mountain is anywhere near Water Makes Us Wet, you really want to see them both because these two are fantastic. You're, the film is is, is spectacular. I, I can't say enough. I was so touched by it. As a, I don't know if you got my email where I said. The yes. the only the part when you two get into that I don't want to give away too much talking about it but when that automobile when you get hit right in the film and they and the guy photographs you're getting hit by that other car and you're in the emergency room oh my gosh my wife and I, we were crying and then the dog Butch is missing oh because <laughs> we 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 live with three canines and uh, oh my gosh I thought it was so wonderful. How did you find a pet detective to figure out where Butch was? You're out in the middle of nowhere. How did you've got to tell me? How did you find a pet detective? Oh, she found us, Richard. That was just a moment when all wow. I think sometimes the earth knows whether you love it or not, you know? And sometimes when you know, sometimes when you think all hope is gone, the earth can produce a doggy detective. <laughs> I mean, she really was, wasn't she? And she was so matter of fact about it, you know. <laughs> Really was. <laughs> That's her mission in life is to pair lost dogs with uh, people. They're people, uh, and we're very lucky. We're very privileged. Um, the internet helped bring Butch back. Oh, the <laughs> internet did help. It, it, do you still have Butch? Is he okay? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, he's a he's driving four-year-old puppy. Oh, t- terrific! Terrific. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Richard. I mean. The best way for people to see Water Makes Us Wet is to contact us, and we can put the film in film festivals. I mean, that's where we're at with the film. Okay, what's the best way to reach you two? Just reach us at, uh, if you go to sexecology.org. Sexecology.org. I'm going to say it again. Sexecology.org. Okay. And there's a contact email, and Beth and I will both get it, whatever people write. Okay. Also, uh, earthlab.ucsc.edu, you can sign up for a newsletter, which comes occasionally. (laughs) Yeah, we we certainly don't uh, fill your inboxes. Actually, I think the the, uh, newsletter is at at earthlab.ucsc.edu. Okay. Earthlab and sexecology.org. That's very helpful. 
Exactly. But I just want to go back to the online dating thing that my partner, I went on to an online dating site and I saw my former partner's profile and it was nothing like the person that I had experienced. <laughs> so I was really glad that I met Annie in the flesh, literally. Yeah, <laughs> I, I see what you're saying. I guess maybe, maybe, maybe my wife and I were being too idealistic because we were thinking that possibly where these uh, hookup sites were leading to was a more matter-of-fact relationship with sexuality, where it became more accepted as just part of us, the way you two accept it. I mean, it's just like drinking water and eating food and voiding and sexuality. I mean, they're just all, and life and death, they're just part of the human condition. But as you, you two know more than anyone, sex is taken on probably mostly because of religion, this this special situation it's 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 put in a category by itself because of the stigma and because of the pleasure and so you know when is it enough already can it just be maybe like you 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 were pointing out Annie that it was in the 70s just it's just something it's something very pleasurable but it's just part of the human condition well, I think grinders not that different than going to a bar and cruising people. And a lot of people are enjoying Grindr and the dating apps. You know, my brother came to San Francisco and he got on one of those apps and he met three different women that he rather liked. So I think that you're right, Richard. Although one thing to think about is how sex has become very corporatized and people are making a lot, billions of dollars um, you know, you got to have the right garter belt, the right sex toys. Uh, you got to have be on the right websites. So it's it's very commercial now, sex, which is one of the things eco sex is interesting. Is going kind of back to basics and and well, you don't need to buy anything to be an ecosexual. That's yeah. For sure. We say, and you know, if you think about all the pornography and all the servers, it's the electricity and the resources and the plastic waste and all kinds of, there's all kinds of crap going on in terms of the commodification of sex. Even strip clubs have become corporatized and, uh, you know, more money is made in adult entertainment than the entire sports and music industry combined. Is that right? Is that yes. right? You, you, uh-huh, uh-huh. So it's so huge, and, and it's a lot about money, and sex is political. People want to control other people's bodies. They want to control their sexuality. So we love this topic of eco-sex because it kind of challenges uh, or at least raises questions about some of those practices. It also gives way to have sensuality and sexuality, it meaning your eco-sexuality, how to do those without it costing money. Reading from your book, rubbing a velvety sage leaf and inhaling its scent, enjoying the feel and taste of a sweet, juicy strawberry. Some practices are more intense, extreme, and even kinky, such as running naked through a field of stinging nettles, or getting pounded and submerged, as you said before, by ocean waves. These are things that don't cost money. These no, are th th 
you know, what you're talking about, making love with air, having squishy wet clay. I'm reading from your book, squishy wet clay between your toes. I'm purposely doing this, Beth and Annie, because I want people to, to, to literally get what you're talking about with, with examples of things that they can actually do after they listen to this program, oh. right? Feeling, yeah. I'm reading again from your book, feeling the grain of a wooden conference table during a faculty meeting. <laughs> it's beautiful. It is so beautiful. I've done that myself, and it's a wonderful feeling. It can really calm you down during a meeting, too. <laughs> well, let's face it. How many people straddle the hot tub jets? And I'm sure that your listeners, your particular audience for your show, mm. is a hot tub jet straddling crowd. <laughs> Yes. How many people use the water and take advantage of the water? And how many actually pleasure the water back and thank the water and tell the water, I love you? And tell the water, I love you. It's pretty hard to do damage to an environment that's an environment that you're making love to on a regular basis, isn't it? Yeah, we have to love the damaged environments, too. In order to heal them. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Mm. So, uh, it's, it's an interesting, wonderful thing to think about the earth as lover. So many things that we do in our daily existence become sensual and sexual when one takes on what you're talking about, described as ecosexuality, because it literally can be walking down the street. It can be anywhere, anytime, and without it costing money. Why fantasize just about people? Why why not fantasize about the little creatures in the soil and walking barefoot and them massaging them? You know, it's it's expanding your fantasies really. People are taught that you fantasies are can be good, but they are, should only be about people. Why not fantasize about the wind on, on when you're riding a motorcycle or um, the colors in, in the earth? If you look at the flowers right now in spring, I mean, these colors, I can get off on just the colors of the flowers or the colors of green and the redwood forest. Or um, So there's so much pleasure to be had, and it is kind of a... Uh, expanding your fantasy realm, imagination. A lot of it's very conceptual. And we take it pretty seriously, and at the same time, we can laugh about it. What's your next project? Before We're coming to a close of the interview. I want to know where you're headed next. Well, we're writing our book, Assuming the Ecosexual Position Now, and then this summer we're going to take off on a cross-country trip to document other artists who are doing environmental artwork and Richard, I just, um, I'm going to be doing an online class on environmental art. And believe me, my idea of environmental art is an expanded idea of environmental art. But what's so exciting about this class is that um, they're allowing me to really experiment with how I do the class, first of all. And second of all, I, I feel like I can reach a really large audience 
um, in ways that maybe even, you know, our art doesn't reach, right, through sort of uh, the online class method. I, I was actually very um, against online classes because I felt that it was important for artists or for people to be together in a classroom, and I still feel that that's very important. But I see, you know, teaching, I see how many of my students are just married to their computers. And so I'm sort of feeling like, well, if you can't beat them, at least try to join them, you know what I mean? So that's a really exciting project that we're going to be working on this summer. Can our, can our, can our listeners get involved? Can they check in on this online class? I think so. I think if they contact me at the university and they just look for Beth Stevens, the chair of the art department at UC Santa Cruz, they'll get my email address. I'm very easy to find. I could find ways for them to engage in this project. And maybe even, you know, some of them could be testers to see if what we're doing is, um, you know, actually um, interesting. I mean, I'm thinking about framing it as a sort of TV show. So it's going to be fun. It'll be like kind of Saturday Night Live at the Environmental Arts Show. Fantastic. So if you want to get a hold of her, you heard that, Beth Stevens at UC Santa Cruz, but also you can always go to the sexecology.org website that we told you about before, and you can reach Beth that way. That's, that, sounds, that sounds really cool. I, when you take this trip this summer, are you going to be taking your pollination pod with you? No, we're just going to take the big Earth Lab van. Oh, the Earth! Oh, you got it all—a new Earth Lab van. That's great. We got a new one, exactly like the old one. So we're going to take the Earth Lab van, and we're going to build a platform on the roof for our cameraman, who's going to be living up on the roof at night. And it's going to be a really fun, happy <laughs> adventure, right? That's what that's that's what Jolie kept asking me during the film last night. She, where's this cameraman? Where do they have him stashed? Where is he? He's always around. He seemed to be everywhere. <laughs> we have cameramen stashed in every port, Richard. <laughs> Richard, I'd like to see in our future us slowing down and having more eco-central pleasure. And I'd like to see the future as us at Wilbur Hot Springs um, in your amazing, beautiful place. Um, I would love you both to come. And by the way, do you know that that, uh, Ellen Spiro and uh, Rabbi Sid Mintz are going to be putting um, uh, Ellen's special trailer from... uh, that she had at the University of Texas, Austin. She's going to be putting it in the nature preserve at Wilbur Hot Springs. Oh, how fabulous. Yeah. Maybe we should bring the little pollination pod up there so it'll have a friend. Talk talk to her about it. That's a really cute idea. Yeah. Richard, I want to thank you for creating a place filled with eco-sensual delights and pleasure. And your Wilbur uh, Center there has been brought so many people so much joy and knowledge. I've been to the conference, the Women of Vision conference there. We presented there at Wilbur. Yeah. And and you've done an amazing amount of pleasure activism. So thank you. Well you're very welcome. It's 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 really my privilege to be involved and when you next time when you two come to Wilbur maybe we'll get you to give a little talk on the eco-sexuality at Wilbur Hot Springs that's available. So thank you both very much for participating today in Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I hope all of you listeners have very much enjoyed the program. And uh, our next guest, I hope you'll tune in for, it's going to be Ken Paul Rosenthal. 
and he's going to be talking about his latest film, Whisper Rapture, which is showing at the Mendocino Film Festival on Friday, June 1st. So goodbye to you, Beth and Annie, and I look forward to seeing you both very soon. Thank you. Thank you. Happy trails. Happy trails. And so much for Mind, Body, Health, and Politics today. I look forward to being with you next time.